0: A fascination with animals came at a young age for my next guest. His father was a keeper at Dublin Zoo, as was mine, but unlike me, he followed in his father's footsteps and went on to spend almost 40 years at Dublin Zoo as he watched its enlargement and transformation with a deepening understanding of and empathy with the animals in his care. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the author of this new book. It's called Raised by the Zoo and subtitled My Life with Elephants and Other Animals. Jerry Creighton, good morning and welcome. Pat. Thanks so much for having me yeah uh, it's been a, everybody knows you yeah, from the telly
1: it's great yeah everywhere you go you're a man from the zoo and you know, that's what you get stopped <laughs> as and it's wonderful um the zoo TV program force was was kind of really a catalyst for how we were perceived across the country by people and it was a very conscious decision by the, the then director uh, Leo Oustavegel who uh, wanted a totally honest transparent show of zoo life he, and he 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 and he wanted to wait until we were ready to do that but when we did we opened it up it was the birds the deaths the celebrations of life, everything that happened in the zoo, and people would, you know, constantly stop you and say it's an emotional roller coaster ride. But they got in to see the love, the care, the dedication of a very, you know, an amazing group of people.
0: Now, uh, the the zoo was a, a Victorian creation, even before Victoria, I think, and it was of its time. Certainly, in my father's time working there, there was a view of the way animals would be treated and contained. It wasn't a cruel view. But it was a controlling view.
1: Exactly. It was very much done about restraint and strength and steel bars and concrete because they didn't understand the biological needs of animals then. And, you know, you, you can look back and be critical, but we would not be where we are today without that evolutionary process. But for me, it's been a privilege to, to have been and seen those changes. That You know, obviously, I, I remember Terry Morphy as director and it was very much a zoo of entertainment then. There was big banquets and parties held on a regular basis and it was very much a member society. And yeah. then, you know, Peter Wilson then came along and Peter Wilson you know the zoo was in a very bad state at that particular time you know it needed to change it was what it was whole range of problems right throughout the zoo and he said about you know engagement with the government and and getting funding and saving like yeah. we were on the verge of closing
0: but in in Terry Murphy's time you know in my childhood I remember the the, the chimpanzees tea party yeah, yeah which would be on a, a lawn just in front of the, the what monk- we call the monkey house correct and um, they'd be there and they'd be having their snacks and everything would delight in them, but you tell all sorts of stories about a, a monkey going across sticking his hand up a woman's yeah, dress. Yeah, there
1: was the humanization of them, you know, that was what was happening. They were trying to make them look like human props, also. But you know, again, it was part of that evolutionary mm. process. Same as the elephant rides, which your dad done, it was all the zoos had to offer in them days, as in yeah. terms of entertainment. No, but that,
0: that monkey, he had a reason for doing what he did, sticking his hand up the woman's
1: yeah, dress. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, she was going to drop the ice pop and drop the ice cream. It was a, a <laughs> very deliberate tactic, you know, so their reaction would be panic, and then they would would get their treat and reward they were actually training themselves to accept
0: the, to yeah. get the reward and people would turn up for the feeding of the lions in, yeah. the, in the big cat house the Roberts house and
1: it was a very impressive moment like I mean I even remember as a kid but even the smell of the urine but the volume the, the cats getting excited the quick movement like it was such a you know a, non, a, a, a wow moment but you know the big cats were in such confined spaces but the power yeah. of them and like my, my dad would be in there feeding them and lifting up the doors and I remember as a kid and lucky enough the cats were so focused on the meat they grab it and pull it back but it was such a dramatic experience Mm -hmm. I remember pushing the meat cart and hundreds of people walking around each area wanting to see the next big cat being fed
0: Now the other uh, showpiece would be the feeding of the sea lions Yeah and and that again throwing fish to these creatures who would leap out of the water and, and take it or they'd waddle up and actually take it by hand um, we didn't know the condition of the pond they were in was no, terrible. It
1: was awful then and in the, you know, the, before it came to be in any kind of a filtered system it was you know it was basically the lake water. You know it was awful on their eyes and their condition and it, you know it was a need to change. Even then when they went to the first filtered pools it needed a lot of adjustment and taken on until the redesign the redesign that happened in recent years uh, which is an incredible an incredible you know, sea lion pool and really
0: dynamic and different depths and you know it's amazing what, what's been achieved. Now you worked with so many different animals but primarily your expertise developed in, in elephants. Yes, yes. And you know in my father's time when he started there was an old old elephant house uh, which was knocked down it was built on a, a kind of an Indian model it was red brick then they knocked that down and the new elephant house was built that's gone. Yes. There's an even better facility now when did that process of change in terms of the way the elephants were treated begin?
1: Well, it began when, you know, really when, when we all knew we had huge issues. Uh, and lucky enough then, when it coincided, when Leo Oosterweger became the director of the zoo, he had a very clear vision and he was a director of international experience. And he had a very clear vision of what, what way he wanted the zoo and how the animals to be treated, you know, based on their biological needs, where they had choice, autonomy and control. And that's what started the process going. We brought in Alan Rucroft, an international consultant, Jones and Jones, were a Seattle-based architect you know, and, and, and a team of people were formed to, to create something very special that was designed around the biology of the elephant. The inspiration came from the wild, how they live socially, uh, how they live in groups and, and, you know, kind substrates like sand floors and sand pillows were introduced for the first time yeah. that bef- uh, take, t- took them away from
0: concrete. And, then we and, had... and the contact that uh, the people who were curating these animals uh, have is, is kind of limited. I mean, they do know you, they know you're there, but you never mix with them.
1: No, we don't have to now, you see. We just create that they the, all elephants learn from elephants and we've created situations that they are multi-generational herd of elephants that invest in one another. You know, obviously the keepers are the architects of the animals' days and they make dynamic you know, changes outside for them, give them lots of choice, opportunity, controls and things to do. But we step back then and allow them to enjoy what is very close to their natural environment and the results were being astonishing. Like we've done some very, really good scientific studies. One of our keepers, Brendan Walsh, done a sleep study, locomotion we've done. We and movement and feeding and all these were comparable with wild elephants so that shows that's very significant in terms of the wellness of these animals and how they're managed They
0: like to work for their grub
1: They do That's it They're complex feeders Elephants are either looking for food for up to 18 hours a day which I meant. so we we, we come up with you know revolutionary ways we used feed pods open food hatches that would open during the night and plus the fact that they, they, you know, gone were the days where the keeper would close the door behind mm-hmm. them in the evening. The elephants have choice and control to go in and out of their habitat. Yeah. Which is and there'd be a
0: net that uh, you couldn't make the holes too big because the elephants wouldn't have to That's work it, hard enough. That's because
1: they've over 100,000 muscles in their trunk and that needs to be worked every day. And then they love just this weaving process of weaving the hay out through the nets. And then you know, a bale of hay that would traditionally be eaten 30 minutes can take up to four or five hours to eat. So it's much more natural. It's a whole body of the elephant working in, in harmony. And, and you know this influence went global. That that influence went global from Dublin Zoo and, and actually inspired many many elephant programmes around the world.
0: Now the, the elephants themselves you say they, they are in family groups now you feel sorry for the lads really and I mean there was a bull elephant born the first ever in Dublin Zoo but his fate was he was going to have to leave home.
1: Yeah that's what happens you see you know in, in, in a situation the bulls are biologically programmed to leave the herd from the day they're born and they hit the sand floor they're biologically programmed and you can actually see it a young female will, will never leave the side of its mother for days and days before it even starts to Wander a few meters. The young bulls will be a hundred meters away. It's just the way they're programmed. And a budai went to Denver Zoo where he joined the bachelor group. But his life plan was already in place. It wasn't that he just a, you know he's pushed out the zoo and off you go. Yeah. There was a life plan in place. He's now in the Denver Zoo in the company of other bull elephants. He will then go into a breeding situation when he when he gets older. So it just hangs out with the boys. That's what happens. It's a perfect perfect life cycle for a bull elephant.
0: Now, when this transformation w- w- was happening. Um, it was a learning curve. I mean, when a, a, a calf is born and suddenly you see the mother giving the calf, which is lying on the straw or on the sand, Yeah, a kick. Yeah, and you're concerned she's going to trample her own calf to yeah. death. Yeah, not
1: so. No, it's an amazing spectacle to watch, and you know, as as new life stumbles to the sand floor, and all the herd members are brought around, and they're stepping around this elephant, and they're so big, but they're actually so delicate in the process. They do it perfectly, and then they nudge or push the calf. It's very important the calf gets up to the ground. That's why it's a gestation of twenty two months. It's been in there because it has to be able to keep up with the herd all throughout the day. Because there might be a predator, there could be a lion or a tiger very close by, depending on the species. So. They we need to get the calf up into the middle of the herd, and to see this happen and what, what was created at Dublin Zoo, um, allowing this to happen naturally without human intervention, was been remarkable and resonated throughout the world. And it was beautiful nine births, nine successful, all within the herd, all elephants teaching elephants. It was mm. a beautiful spectacle to watch.
0: I remember when I was uh, up there with you backstage, as it were, in, in uh, the elephant enclosure a few years ago, and you were explaining to me the new technologies. I mean, yeah. if you want to take the elephant's uh, temperature, for example, yeah. if you want to get a blood sample. You, you have ways of persuading the elephant um, it, that they'll, they'll actually, actually you, you like this experience. Exactly,
1: we implemented a training method called positive reinforcement. It's a reward-based training system. And what happens is the elephant will come to what we call a protected contact wall. We don't share the same space as we said, but the elephant is taught to present its foot for pedicures, its ear for blood draws, and it gets rewarded for this whole process. The elephant can walk away if it wants, but it never does. It wants to be there because, you know, it's been rewarded for what it's doing. It's kind, it's considerate, mm. but the elephant has a choice in this yeah. process.
0: Now the the young elephants are like young kids. They um, they might get fidgety in the night, and uh, the, the the system in Dublin Zoo is they can mooch away. The mother might give them a, an elbow, get up out of there. You're annoying me. Yeah. and the the calf will wander out. Yeah, they wander out. Mooch I mean, around. Keep the keepers are
1: doing an incredible job. To be many many. You know, browse piles outside, sand polos, mud wallows, everything for the elephant to engage, you know, in its biology, in its reference points, what it needs to do and exist as a, as a species. So, you know, it's wonderful to see such natural behaviours. And that's that's what's happened over the last 20 years of the zoo. You know, um, the work, as I say, when, when our director Leo came in, he, he changed so many aspects of the designs, brought it into a much more of... But, you know a better place for animals and it it has been remarkable
0: yeah it, it's been remarkable and obviously there was uh, government funding came in at a crucial point and also there was a donation of 19 hectares from Arsonoktron yes. which was fabulous because it allowed the creation of habitats for the animals which were more naturalistic
1: correct when the government made the correct decision to invest in the zoo for, for the people of the country and Arsonoktron came along we were really able to reinvent ourselves in terms of space okay. all the big species went up to up there giraffe zebra every it yeah. gave so much room Tell me
0: how close it was to closure.
1: It was really close as I say in the 80s I remember Peter Wilson saying that the board members had to do a collection to play the staff's wages the following week and there was buckets going around collecting a punt at the time. It was really on the verge of closing. It was everything was you know was bankrupt the whole place the facilities And Mick Doyle who
0: was the Irish rugby rugby coach he was also a vet. He was sent in to to have a look.
1: That's right under Charlie Hough originally and the, the brief was either go in and fix it or close it and they did consult with the public of Ireland everybody wants the zoo everybody wants a Dublin Zoo and again as I said when it moved on to Peter Wilson and the negotiations he he got secured the funding um, that got us back on our feet and then after that then we were able to to excel when the Leo came in he was a director of international significance
0: now Leo understood that it, it's not just about having a nice habitat for the animals and people can wander around and look at them People also have to be fed as well as animals. People have to go to the loo. Nappies have to be changed. Correct.
1: That's what I mentioned in the book, you know, because I remember going in and saying to Leo, why aren't we doing this or why aren't we doing that? You know, because I obviously thought the animals came first, but he said, you know, the infrastructure had to be put up to a a level where people were really, really comfortable. The lady coming or the man coming with their kids on a Saturday or Sunday that wanted to eat and have facilities and families together, that had to be in place. So that was the core to attracting people back, that people were comfortable. And that's what you know that was the result, and yeah. then we were able to work on the, the, the big habitats. Then after that, but it was it was a process. Mm-hmm. You now it was a tactical process that took many years, but the result the results are astonishing.
0: Now there's some great yarns in the book. Uh, you know the the monkeys get their new habitat, the primates, and they're out on an island, and then it's unusually a cold winter, and the lake ice is over and they oh, go
1: sliding. That's right, the Sulawesi crested macaques. And, uh, they, they're a ground-dwelling species which means they're, they're, they, they like to play along the ground and they were running across the island and sliding on the rallies right across and a few of them <laughs> went out decided to go walkabouts in the park. But lucky enough, we always had plans in place and we got them back. But it was just, it was a real reflection on how comfortable and how happy they were in their environment. They just wanted to play and, and explore a bit more. Um,
0: then you had to literally break the ice. <laughs> literally break sure. the ice and get them back. That's a, that's a fact. Um, there are some uh, great escapes uh, animals very occasionally escape but on one occasion you had a terrible job to do and it's a heartbreaking moment when a rhino yeah. gets loose yeah
1: that was one of well, definitely one of the darkest days for me after so many um, years in the zoo but uh, again it would never happen now with risk assessment and proper planning we train animals now for crates before they go away but unfortunately it was a young rhino that got very sp- um, spooked when she was being loaded onto a container and she actually came through the side of the container she broke it and of course it was two o'clock in the day and I was over there with my dad and I brought over the firearm because I was part of the, the, the firearms response team and, and that's a just in case that's a just in case scenario we, we, we all have to cover, you know, for, for, how, for these reasons, but unfortunately, I had to, I had to shoot the rhino and uh, I never forget it. You know, one of yeah. the darkest days of the zoo, thankfully, long, long finished. Now we have you know proper things in place and it w- wouldn't happen. And people should be reassured that that's not going to happen. But these things, you know, every zoo has a history.
0: Now, you profile a whole pile of elephants, not just the ones that were in Dublin Zoo, but stories of, for example, Sissy the elephant and the flood how yeah, she survived
1: i've been over working with the tennessee team and she was an elephant that you know again was was not treated very well in, in human care and but she was in a flood at the san antonio zoo and what happened was uh she she was submerged in water for under 3 days and holding onto a branch with her trunk but she managed to survive
0: it but she so so she was breathing, breathing through, through the, her trunk the yeah, trunk and, and was submerged and underwater submerged,
1: but her trunk is still damaged and uh, she 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 was uh, a product of some very bad care in in, in with humans she was also badly beaten at a, at a place she was in Mexico one time with baseball bats um, but thankfully now she's in the Tennessee Sanctuary who are doing incredible work with elephants and you know she now has a home and she's starting to trust humans again so it's wonderful to see her transformation
0: Now uh, you did some hand rearing uh, we played a clip earlier of uh, you was talking about having you never knew what creatures would be in the <laughs> Creighton home whether it be lion cubs or tiger cubs or whatever it, it might be and you hand reared so many and you you know, you wouldn't do that today except maybe in a very exceptional case.
1: Yes, we've learned a lot more from that because Han raiding you know, was, was great and it was a great experience but, you know, we it can have a cause for the animal if they become too attached to a human or don't learn their own social behaviour. Luckily, we had Lucy at home as a chimp that live with, myself and, and the, the wife, Leona, at home for two years and, um, we got her back into a situation where she was she was introduced back, which was great. But you have to be very, very careful. Now you can mm-hmm. do assisted feeding. Like we've done examples with Asiatic lions in the zoo where we were able to go in with a bottle, give them a feed, allow Mom back in and she continued to nurse them and, and, and mine them and manage them as a lioness would. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's different strategies and different plans now which are in place. So hand rearing is definitely not the solution. We did yeah. it then with the best intentions, but we know now that there's there's yeah. more appropriate they, ways. They
0: become humanised. They can. They, bit, can, they yeah. can
1: but lucy was it was a great example of a knot because we had a very strategic plan to get lucy back into the group of of chimpanzee or troop and it worked very well
0: yeah, because you could approach the group yeah. her in your arms that's initially it. then her on your back Exactly Then allowing her to kind of interact exactly. with them Exactly, that's what I mentioned we, we built a
1: petition right next to her family where she could see them and the sights and smells and sounds and the vocalisations and then we could judge the behaviour we were trying to groom her um, you know, through the petition and then eventually we knew the time was right and then they, actually our mom mm. picked her up on the very first day after two years which was a remarkable
0: Remarkable to see You had to have so many skills for, for instance um, removing placenta with a litter
1: yeah that was a yeah that one of the elephants um, asha and it was her firstborn and she retained a placenta which would stop her producing milk and our calf was trying to feed and we were bottle feeding the calf again it was a good we didn't have to take the elephant away but we had to get down to the stores and get a new litter, litter picker it was it was it was coming over her body and lucky enough she was she was you know trained to come to the pc wall and we were washing her with a hot a hot shower and then we were gently pulling out the placenta and as the placenta came out and uh, the whole thing fell to the floor she walked over and lifted her leg and allow calf to feed. So one of, one of the strange jobs you'd have to do. But thankfully, through the modern training methods, we were able to give her the best care possible.
0: Now, people followed the adventures of the zoo even through COVID. I yeah. mean, it that was a dark time because... They all still had to be fed. People had to be paid. The zoo had to continue, but without an audience.
1: Yeah, it was it was it was a very very strange time, and it was a very difficult time with the new director, Kurt Krubin Christoph. And you know, he was he inherited the zoo that was in the kind of in COVID. It was very very difficult. And you know, the, you're used to people. The zoo was so dependent on revenue. You know, um, from, from the summer months to when it comes in, and all through the year. And it, it was it was you know, a lot of money being being lost every month. But thankfully, we had an appeal, which was incredible. We got support from the government and. It saw saw us through it. It was a difficult time, but it was very weird and being in the park and, and and having so few people around. But the keepers done an exceptional job keeping the animals stimulated, and they yeah. got through. They got through. And the, the,
0: the animals, you you remarked that they actually enjoy the fact that there are people there because even if they're not interacting with the people, they're watching them. Certain they're, species, correct? Yeah, like it's, certain it's, species. It's new stuff happening.
1: Exactly. Certain species you would observe. You know, a lot of them are so so ingrained in their habitats, which is great. They got things to do. But yeah, they're people watchers. And you know, the big apes, like, would be. People people watching and they like to see the atmosphere and what's happening as they go around so it was a change but as I say keepers work so hard to keep everything stimulated now, after
0: almost 40 years you left
1: Yeah I left I left it was a decision um, obviously I, I, I didn't take lightly it was, it was heartbreaking but um, I was going to zoos globally um, already and, and Dublin Zoo couldn't keep sending me away I always had it in my head that I would eventually go out and you know as a consultant I did thankfully the phone hasn't stopped ringing but I'm working on projects in the UAE with Melbourne Zoo in Australia Zoos in the US, Israel, UK, uh, Howlett's Wild Animal Park, where we're, we're on the verge of putting 13 African elephants back to the wild, the first time ever from a zoo situation. Yeah. So, some of the biggest elephant projects in the world, you know, I'm now involved with. And, and that's very rewarding. And that was from all the information and knowledge that I harvest and learned through Dublin Zoo and working with people like Alan Rucroft, who was the consultant we brought in, who has invested so much time in me. And it was incredible the stuff I learned. And now I get a chance to, you know, make to pass it, it to pass it on and be a, you know, hopefully a, a positive global influence.
0: Yeah. Uh, you remarked that, that nowadays you might give a lecture in Trinity College in Dublin and yeah. <laughs> that would have been beyond the imagination of your teachers. A little
1: be, yeah, uh, one of my teachers said to me because he said I was sometimes a bit of a messer in the class he said craic the only way you'll ever get to Trinity College is on a messenger bike. But I proved them wrong. I proved them wrong and regularly go out and do the talks and which is great to be able to do that people love to listen. It's been great to accumulate it's accumulated knowledge. It's the stuff you can't buy in classrooms. You know to have that experience and that knowledge and to be able to share it now is so so rewarding. Rewarding.
0: Well, uh, Jerry, I have to say, if you, our listeners read one book this year, this is the one they should read. It thank is you. absolutely fantastic. It's called Raised by the Zoo My Life with Elephants and Other Animals. It's published by uh, Gill Books and its author, the uh, unmistakable Jerry Creighton. Jerry, thank you very much for joining us on the program. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.